0: Okay, We are continuing with our series on Philippians, and you know, Paul has shared everything about himself, or most things about himself, with the church in Philippi, and now he wants to know how they're doing. That's the the kind of relationship that exists between the Apostle Paul and that new church the Lord used him to, to plant in the middle of Philippi. So, we're continuing today from verse 27 to 30. Philippians chapter 1, 27 to 30. You know, Paul, first of all, thanks God for their fellowship in the gospel. And then he prays that their love may increase more and more. And then he says, by the way, I'm in prison, but the gospel's advancing anyway. It's advancing among the guard who are there guarding me, among the Roman imperial guard. It's advancing among... Uh, the churches, they're becoming more brave and they're witness to Jesus Christ. And also among those who are my critics, they're also preaching Christ even more so. And then he talks about whether I live or die makes no difference because I belong to Jesus. And now he turns to them and he's concerned for them. Verses 27 to 30 of Philippians chapter 1. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you, or am absent, I may hear of your affairs. That you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. So, I think you'll see a pretty detailed outline on the back of your bulletin as well. So, uh, you know, someone had just asked me, just moments before the service began, and said, so what are we talking about today? I thought, how do I say this in a very simple way? It's this: that in the midst of Philippi, right in Philippi, that a city that did not love the Lord, it had its own idols, had its own gods. It was a Roman colony, and out of that, what was the Lord raising up? A small, young congregation, infant believers, new believers in Jesus Christ. And the city didn't really like them. After all, they didn't follow all their rituals and follow all their uh, laws. But who was their Lord? It was the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. And you'll notice that uh, Paul's main concern, certainly he would have thought about their health and well-being, but his main concern, as should be concerned for all churches today, is that... uh, the church never surrenders the truth of the gospel for a pot of dull, for a pot of stew. And that she never, ever give up Christ to gain friendship with the world. Because to give up life itself. You know, the truth of the gospel, the Bible, the truth of Jesus Christ, what does it do? It brings up conflict from the other side. Right? From the unbelieving world. And there's a man, his name is Abraham Kuyper, he writes this, The conflict has always been and will be until the end. Christianity or paganism. The idols or the living God. That's really the only division in the world. The division is not between minorities, majorities, the oppressed and oppressors, or between blacks and whites, No, the real and main division is between the idols or the true and living God, Christianity or paganism. That's the main division in our world today. And through Paul, Christ in these verses, he says, You're young, you're new, but you know what? You stand firm. You stand firm in the faith, strive together for the truth of the gospel. And don't in any way be afraid of those who oppose you. Those three things you see in there, right? You know, stand firm, strive, and don't be afraid of your enemies in any way. Why? Because who's Lord? Jesus. is Lord, he is king of the universe. All authority has been given to him on heaven and on earth. And so the opposition of your adversaries, ultimately their opposition is futile. It will come to nothing. It may be hard right now, but ultimately and finally it will come to nothing. And you know, God's people face, or God's people have a glorious future, an eternal kingdom. And so, what we see in this passage, Philippians 1, 27 to 30, what do we hear? We hear Christ's call to endure conflict, endure suffering for the sake of Christ, really for the truth of the gospel. And we see three things here. First of all, in your conduct. See how verse 27 begins? Only in your conduct. That's the one way which we're called to endure. And then in verse 27, by standing firm... And then third of all, don't be afraid of those who oppose you, Paul says. And they were feeling it. They were feeling the pressure. They were feeling the heat in the church of Philippi. So we see, first of all, the call to endure suffering for the truth of the gospel. First of all, in your conduct. See that first part of verse 27? Paul says, whether I come to you or not, whether I'm released from prison or whether I go to glory to be with Jesus... He says in verse 27, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's his main concern. The word only? Well, he can be concerned about many other things, but this is his big concern. Only. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now the word conduct, uh, what does that mean? We might associate conduct with walk. Sometimes the scripture, the Bible uses your walk with the Lord. Or your behavior. And that word includes that for sure. But there's more here. In the original, in the original language here is a special word related to our word political. <laughs> Christianity is a political religion. It really is. What we mean by political is that it's public. Right? It's a public lifestyle. That's, that's what politics means. It's, it's, it's public in its life. And that's what the word conduct here means. Literally it means live as citizens of the kingdom, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ in this this world. That's what it means. Christ is Lord over all and your faith is not a private faith. It's a public faith. The command then is this. Let the exercise of your citizenship Be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, Apostle Paul talks about a little bit later in Philippians 3, verse 20. He talks about our citizenship where? Our citizenship is in heaven. And now Paul gives here in chapter 1, verse 27. He says, The Christian's citizen charter, the charter for the Christian in the kingdom is what? Is the gospel. The gospel is not only good news to be received, to be believed, but it's a power to shape our behavior and lifestyle. It's God's power. So, see that? Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the citizen's charter for the kingdom of Christ. So, as Canadian citizens, of course, we observe Remembrance Day, we honor what those who have done or gone before us in terms of their fighting, in terms of their defending the country. But as citizens of Christ's kingdom, we also observe Sunday. We observe the Lord's day, the day of worship, as the Lord commands. The world don't understand that. But this is the Lord's charter for his people. We may fly our Canadian flags. Nothing sinful about that. It's okay to fly a Canadian flag. But we also wear our badge, our standard membership in Christ's kingdom, which is what? Baptism. I belong, body and soul and life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We uphold marriage. No? Not as the world does. Especially in these days, how they would define marriage. But only marriage is between a husband and wife according to the charter of the kingdom, the gospel of God. We honor the king, yes, but we honor a greater king who has greater authority, the ultimate authority, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Only let your conduct be worthy. Let your citizenship in the kingdom be worthy of the gospel of Christ. You know, Jesus is Lord of my life. His power, the power of his death and resurrection, also changes the way I live my life. By faith, I belong to him. He changes the way I relate with my family. He changes the way I raise my children and educate my children. He changes the way I do my everyday work. He changes the way in which I live or participate in the public square. After all, Christ, He went before you. He fought for you. He paid for your salvation with His dear blood. He bought you with His blood. He washed you. He rose again from the dead, adopting, as adopted children of God. So as Lord, what does He do? He commands allegiance. He commands loyalty. He commands obedience from his word. The gospel, right? The gospel governs our lives. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, there's so many parallels between us here and the church in Philippi. Like in the church of Philippi, so many, so many of us have come out of unbelieving families right families that don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and yeah that's by God's grace right that we've been uh, taken out but the same happened in the church of Philippi Christ called individuals he called the Philippian jailer formerly a pagan who probably would have worshipped the idols of, of Rome he called the slave girl And what did he do? He called them to leave that, to forsake that, to join him, and to join the fellowship of believers. And that meant no longer participating in certain kinds of things like rituals to the gods, or participating in sinful activities that were going on in Philippi, or even listening to laws from the state that were imposed upon the citizens against Christ. You know, consider then that, that kind of hatred of the population of Philippi towards the young, even the young congregation of believers. they changed lives. What do you think it did for the people in Philippi? It, it really exposed their sinfulness, their empty way of life. It probably made them envious how come they're so happy? How come they're so peaceful? How come they so much joy? Philippians is a book of joy. Paul's in prison; he has joy. And believers would receive this kind of treatment, even with them not even seeing a the word. They would receive that kind of treatment from the city. Their new life in Christ was an ongoing challenge, but it was also a rebuke to the unbelieving world around them. Only says Paul, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. No, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. It's a public faith, not a Sunday faith, not in the closet faith. It's public. You don't even have to say anything. It's public. Because that's the that's the power of the gospel that changes lives. Jesus died in public. He arose in public. Remember Paul before Festus saying, these things were not done in a corner. The apostles preached in public. The good news of Jesus Christ is a public gospel. Christian worship is a public service. It's open to the public. And the Christian faith is a public faith. Right? Christ is Lord. He's a public Lord. The King, the Lord over all. And you know, if Christ is Lord and King over all, we as Christians should not be hesitant. We should not be ashamed to to boldly assert His absolute, His unqualified authority over every part of society. Because after all, you belong to a kingdom, an eternal kingdom. And because of this, your conduct Yeah, your conduct, just your simple conduct will elicit that kind of grating, that kind of conflict that may even come from jealousy and envy. Remember John the Baptist? He lost his head. For what? Just for saying to King Herod, hey, you're not allowed to have your brother's wife. That's not according to the charter of the kingdom, the charter of Jesus Christ the temptation may be strong to compromise with those who oppose you for those who are so close to you i mean sometimes they might even question your love your loyalty it's painful it hurts it's hard for you when they see that when they don't see the love of christ in you for them the love of one who laid down his life for you it hurts, doesn't it? That they don't see that you actually love them even more than before. And yet, you know, we hear Christ's call to live our lives, to live our lives worthy of the gospel in our conduct. In our conduct. Yeah, so there's that conflict. But in the midst of that conflict, Paul says stand firm, don't give in, stand your ground. You see that in verse 27, the second part? That you stand fast in one spirit, in one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So yes, yeah, stand faster means stand firm. I think an image that comes to mind is a tug of war. I remember in high school, we would play tug of war. Remember, you know what tug of war is? It's a long rope, and you have two teams. Probably of equal, in this case, probably of equal strength. And you have a mud hole in the middle. And you're pulling opposite of each other. So you're trying to get the other team to go over the mud puddle or to fall into the mud puddle and bring them over to your side. So yeah, you're pulling the rope in opposite directions. And the intent is to hold your ground, to stand firm. Don't let the other team pull you into the mud and over to their side. That's what Jesus is saying to the Paul, to the congregation. You stand fast. In Philippians 4 verse 1, he even says a little later, Therefore, my beloved, long for brethren, my joy and crown, stand fast in the Lord, beloved. We see the same word in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. In a tug of war, what do you have? You have more than one person. If you have one person against many, (laughs) it's, it's going to be really hard, isn't it? You have a team. You have a team working together to keep the other side from pulling you over, even from pulling one person over from that team. Christ says here, stand fast, knows that, in one spirit, in one mind. How? Striving together for the truth of the gospel. See the emphasis on unity here? We stand together. The Philippians were to stand together as believers in Jesus Christ. One spirit, one mind, striving together. Even for the sake of one member. One member. We strive side by side, supporting that member, encouraging that member, praying for that member, After all, the body, the body of Christ, we don't want to lose a foot, do we? It becomes injured. We don't want to lose an eye. We don't want to lose a hand. We need everyone on the rope. We don't just need some people on the rope. We need everyone on the rope together. No spectators allowed. No, no, we're in this together. Everyone pulling together. It's not easy. It's not easy. The call to strive together. Note the word together. It's important not to stand firm alone. There is no such thing as a Christian who stands alone who is not part of the body of Christ. When when a believer is joined to Christ, he's part of his body. It's not... It doesn't make sense to say that you're a Christian and you're not part of the body of Christ. It's, it's team effort. If you're alone, you become tired, you become exhausted, you feel worn down, and that's the way the devil works. He wants to wear you down more and more and more. And it just becomes so difficult if you're in it alone. Sometimes it's just easier to say, Forget Christ. It's just easier to give up the struggle and just give in to the other side. Just give in to Satan. And it just seems to be more peaceful. But you've lost everything. You've lost life. You've lost Christ. You've lost real peace. You've lost real joy. Paul saying continue to stand fast. It's in the present tense. In other words, it's, it's going to dog you throughout your life. Continue to stand fast. striving together. It suggests a possibility that maybe we'll lose ground. Maybe we'll lose a person to the other side. Where pressure mounts, you know, that where pressure mounts, Jesus called come to me all you weary and heavy laden. Sometimes that can become so faint, so soft, because it's drowned out by this tantalizing and inviting call from Satan. Come, join us. And that's the struggle, isn't it? Striving together for that truth of the gospel. Faith of the gospel here means the truth of the gospel. Jesus is the truth. And when you stand on the truth, there is no way Satan can crush the truth. There is no way he can crush the church. He can try, he can point all his cannons in the entire world pointed toward the church. He will never, never prevail. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Watch. Oh, that's right—the church building. That's right, but what about the people, right? Who have if Jesus holds them, can they break? No, ah, that's what we're getting at here, aren't we? Right? Satan cannot crush those who Jesus have in His hand. In, in His hand, right? Ephesians says, "Stand in the power of the Lord's might—the power of Him who crushed the head of Satan." He's the one who crushed the head of Satan through his death and resurrection. Remember what God has done for you in Christ. And when in doubt, always look back to your baptism. And there you receive God's promise. And in that promise, God says, Trust me. Trust me. I'll provide the way. He always has. He's faithful. He is always faithful. You have firm footing in Christ. In his word. Therefore, yeah, live your life worthy of the gospel. Stand firm. And finally, this might be the most difficult thing. Kind of builds up. (laughs) The third point is, and don't fear your enemies. Don't fear those who oppose you. Those are the words of Christ to us in verse 28. Not in any way be terrified by your adversaries. You know that word for frightened? That's only found here in the New Testament. That specific word? And it denotes this. It denotes the uncontrollable stampede of frightened horses. Okay, You ever see horses who are frightened by something? Usually frightened by me. I've seen it before. Not because I'm so dangerous, but because I'm scared of them, and they're scared of me, and they go on a stampede. Well, don't do that, says, says Christ. That's not the way to respond. Flee. No. He says, that's not the way to stand firm. That's not the way to hold your ground. And you know, we look at ourselves and say, well, we just seem to be the opposite of that. We do fear. We are afraid. Who of us is not afraid? Who of us are afraid? We're often afraid, aren't we? But we don't need to be afraid. We shouldn't be afraid. And the wording is really strong here. Don't be terrified. No, not in any way. It's very, very strongly worded here. You know, we stand in good company with the fearful saints in Philippi. That's why Apostle Paul, or Christ through the Apostle Paul, addresses the saints here in this way. Young believers, new believers in Jesus Christ. Don't. Don't be in any way terrified of your adversaries. Something struck me this past week. And that was from Revelation 21 verse 8. It gives a list of those who end up in the lake of fire. You know the first word that's on that list? The cowardly. Those who are afraid. Fearful. Timid. That's not the Lordship of Christ. Rather, with courage, trust in Christ who opens the way, courage says, God is with me. Christ is with me. I will never, no never, by the grace of God, ever forsake His Word, even if, whatever the consequences may be. In Paul's day, The believers were suspected of not believing in God. They were saying that believers didn't really believe in God because they worshipped no visible idols. In their homes, they would have pictures of their gods. They would have statues in their gods. When they came to Christians' homes, they just saw nothing. (laughs) They saw no pictures. They saw no gods. And so they said, these Christians, they don't even believe in God. And so what would happen in their daily work, in their daily social interactions, these followers of Jesus show by their conduct that but they were still different. They still showed by their conduct that God had them in their hands, that Jesus was living in them. Paul says here, two signs or two proofs come with not in any way being terrified by your enemies. What are the two proofs? Your not being frightened shows two things. It shows on the one hand, verse 28, to them, that is to the adversary, it's a proof of perdition. When we're not frightened, it's a proof to the enemy of their destruction. Because the enemy marvels. They're surprised. They're alarmed that, why are they not afraid? Boy, what faith in Christ. What, what strength of Christ holding on to them. As a proof of their destruction. But it's also a proof to you. It's a proof of your salvation, says the Apostle Paul. And where does that come from? That kind of stance? That kind of strength? And that from God. I just love the way that ends there. And that from God. And that from God. It's not from ourselves. It definitely isn't, because none of us could stand. But that from God. No other words. Oh, sorry, in other words, your fearlessness is the evidence of doom that threatens your adversaries unless they repent. And at the same time, your fearlessness is evidence of God's work of salvation in you. And that from God. Sometimes, you know, we say, I say, I don't know. I don't know if I'm so fearless. Or I hope to continue to stand firm. But as those times come, Really believe that God gives the grace. Count, countless people have shared that, their testimony, how God has given the grace in those times to stand firm. And that from God. You know, the good news here is what? The good news, and this is really the clincher Christ went before us, innocent, blameless in his conduct, he stood firm. Striving, fearless against our adversaries, Satan. He's the one who went before us. And he did this for us. He did this in our place. All by himself. All alone. And so, you know, it's not in us, but it was in him. And therefore, trusting in him, we're covered. We're covered by his work in our place. He did it perfectly. He faced the foe, suffering death and hell in our place. And that's why the author of Hebrews says, in these times, you look to Christ, because He did it all for you, in your place, to all who believe on Him, who trust in Him, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God, or the throne of God. To endure, what do we need? Not strength from ourselves, we don't have it. To endure, the call is to trust in Christ. He did it all perfectly. His conduct, his standing firm, his fearlessness... And the gift to endure, that gift to endure comes to all who trust on the Lord Jesus Christ. See verse 29? He talks about that gift. What gift does he give to all who trust on him? For to you it has been given or granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It's not talking about any kind of suffering but suffering for the sake of the gospel. Hard for for us to wrap our heads around the fact that this kind of suffering is a gift. (laughs) It's given. It's granted. That word has been given is related to the word grace. It's the gift of grace. He gives it. He gives that so that we can endure. That we can begin to stand firm. To be fearless. It's a gift to all who believe on him. You know what? Because of what Christ has done, because of his finished work, we can now live out of him by faith. We can live out of his conduct, his blameless conduct. We can stand firm in him. We can be fearless in him. Not outside of him. It's not going to work. We're going to fail. We're going to fall. But in him, he gives us strength. You know that suffering for the sake of the gospel? Please don't see it as a payment for sin, as a punishment for sin. Christ endured that punishment for sin. But that suffering that he talks about here for the sake of the gospel is something that we share in union with Christ. By faith, we join Christ. We share in Christ. That means we also share in his sufferings. But we also share in his resurrection. Paul concludes verse 30 showing how God's people stand in the same ground as he did. He says, having the same conflict which you saw in me, they saw it in Philippi, and which you hear now is in me. They hear about that and the fact that he's a prison in Rome. And yet, congregation, understand that this suffering for the sake of Christ is for a moment. It's one speck. It's one speck in the light of all eternity. The Bible says that, notice what it calls our affliction, our suffering. It calls it light. Compared to what Christ did, <laughs> it's light. And it's for a moment. And what does it do? It's working in us a far more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. You know, as God's people, you face a glorious future. Stand firm in Jesus, be fearless in Jesus. We're going to sing in a few moments that hymn. Out of tribulation, death and Satan's hand, we have been translated at the Lord's command. In their hands are holding palms of victory. Hark, the jubilant chorus, shouts triumphantly. We live in confusing times. We live in a really confusing world. But take heart, because it's God Who's confusing the adversary? The confusion is because God has brought confusion to our enemies. And ultimately, their opposition is futile. One man, Douglas Wilson, writes this. He makes a reference to Moses and the Red Sea. Beautiful references. But here he says We are living in a time when all the wheels of Pharaoh's chariots seem to be coming off. And this should not distress us because we are his people. And we are already standing on the opposite side. That's how strong we are in Christ. To God be the glory, for the glory of His grace that He has shown. To Him belongs salvation. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.